Good morning. Looks like everyone heard that I was speaking this morning. <laughs> Except you guys, you didn't get the memo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I won't take it personally. I'll try not to take it personally. Uh, God, <coughs> we pray this morning that your truth would be heard. We pray that your plan would be seen. And that we pray that your love would be felt as we study your word this morning. We thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so <coughs> as we've talked about, there's, uh, there's a lot of parallels between uh, Christ and the cross and the story of Isaac and, and Abraham and them going up to, that, up to the mountain for Isaac to be sacrificed. And uh, one thing that, that stuck out to me, really, and it, and it kind of happened last Sunday was the perspective. And I don't know if anyone caught this, but the account of Christ's journey to the cross in, in John 19, like, it's very heart-wrenching. It's in the perspective of, of Christ. And that's often how I think of the cross, is the perspective of Christ. Like, that's, that's how the story's written. And, and especially the moments leading up to the cross and, and Christ's prayers and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, we think of of that, like it's such a close account by the observer that it, it almost feels like a first-person walkthrough of Christ's journey to the cross. And it goes through his emotions before and, and after and even the relief at the end. Uh, but scripture, it, it does speak of the Father's love as something to be grasped through the sending of his Son to the cross. Like we see this in in Romans 8, 3, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed love. Oh, it's a different verse up here. In this, it's a different translation. In this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this next verse you guys are very familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the Bible, in the New Testament especially, it talks through this, this uh, love of the Father and, and this story it plays out to show this, this love of the Father. And, and I, I th couldn't help but think last Sunday, that as we're going through Genesis 22, that we see a different perspective of the cross that we don't see in the New Testament. It's not, at least not that vividly. And we see the perspective of the Father. As Abraham goes to sacrifice his son, we see the perspective of the Father. But how many parallels really exist in the story of Abraham and, and Isaac? that we can say this is a picture of the cross? A lot is the answer. I, I don't know exactly how many, but there's a lot. And so there's so many really glaring par parallels. I've uh, written down on your bulletins some of the ones that, for me, were just the most glaring, and I could draw a link directly from the story of the cross to the, uh, the account of Isaac's sacrifice in Genesis 22. So I put these in your bulletin simply because 
I didn't want you to have to try and like remember the ones you really wanted to to look up or anything like that and have to write them down and all that kind of stuff. And uh, especially since I'm not going to be hanging out terribly long on each one of these points because, like I said, there's a lot. So uh, first, Abraham was tested and Jesus was tested. We see that the father leads his son to be sacrificed. Uh, for all these references, um, I didn't put down Genesis 22 because every single one can be looked up in Genesis 22. Um, and if you need help finding it, like, let me know. But it's pretty straightforward. Um, and then the third, uh, a donkey is involved in the road to the sacrifice. And that's like, seems like a little detail, but then you're, you're thinking, all right, Zechariah 9, pre like, predict, uh, prophesies that Jesus is going to be riding in on a donkey. So there's, it's a combination of, like, this, this imagery and this parallel between this story of Isaac and the cross, and then it's also uh, prophesied in Zechariah. So it's, it's super, super cool. Uh, and then the fourth one, each son is the one and only son of his father. And uh, so, of course, in Genesis 22, we, we know about Ishmael and all that kind of stuff, but it, it, in the account of Abraham and Isaac, it says the one and only son, talking about this is, this is the chosen son of Abraham. This is the son of Sarai and, and Abraham. Like, this is his son. This is the, the one that the prophecy of Abraham is supposed to come through. And if this son dies, then that prophecy in that promise from God is dead. So that's, that's the point that's being made here. Uh, so the, the fifth one, the son had been born with divine intervention. Both sons, of course, we, we know the story of Jesus in Luke 2 and Isaac in Genesis 21. Uh, the sacrifices take place on the same mountain. So this is something that uh, Christopher had, had mentioned last week as well. Uh, let's keep going. The, the companions that were with them stayed behind. And a lot of people say that they even stayed behind in the same, the same area, kind of the um, base camp. For the matter, like, I, don't, I don't know where Mount of Olives is, actually. It's, a, it's, a, it's another um, plateau to the side of, of uh, the mountain that they ascended. Um, so when they went up for the sacrifice. Eighth one, the son carried the wood to the sacrifice. Ninth, the son was submissive to the will of the father. See, Isaac, he asks a question, and it's more like a, a question of practicality than insubordination. Isaac's like, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, well, you know, God's going to provide, and Isaac he takes Abraham's, you know, word for it and just goes with it. So there's that humility there uh, and, and submission to the father. Tenth, uh, Abraham believed God would resurrect his son, and Jesus said, I will rise on the third day. So we read in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, uh, 19, that Abraham was like, this is, you know, this is God's promise to me. And I know that God's going to fulfill with his promises, so even if, I, even if I sacrifice my son, well, God's going to raise him from the dead. And, and the Bible even talks through the same kind of language of resurrection, even though Isaac wasn't, wasn't actually killed. Uh, blood was shed. 
The sacrifice was a substitute. A ram, the substitute for Isaac, and Jesus, the substitute for us and our sins. The ram was caught in the thorns, and Jesus had a crown of thorns. And then lastly, abundant blessings flow because of the sacrifice. So blessings for Abraham and his family, and then blessings for us, of course, through Christ's sacrifice. So we see this, and the story of Christ's crucifixion is an, is an intimate story of, of him going through this pain and this heartache, and, and really the biggest sacrifice in history. Jesus, the innocent sacrifice of the cross. And through this account of Christ's death, we see his devotion to the Father and ultimately his love for all of creation. Uh, I hope my brother doesn't mind me sharing this story. Um, it's a good story. I didn't ask him, but uh, don't ask, don't tell, I suppose. Um, so Stacy, my wife, uh, just went up to my, uh, my sister-in-law's like 30th birthday party. <coughs> and uh, m- my sister-in-law had been really upset because it's like two weeks after her birthday, and she didn't have a 30th birthday party, and she had mentioned it for like three years prior to this, that I really want to have a 30th birthday. I really want a 30th birthday, like a big party, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, then they didn't get one. And my brother apparently actually, because it was, it was a whole deal, my grandma's funeral and all that stuff, my brother actually forgot to wish my sister-in-law happy birthday on her actual birthday. And, and she was like, was that all a part of the plan? And he was like, actually, no, it wasn't. But, but then, he, then he had this like little party at home and, and, uh, and she was like, oh, he's just making up for it. She like cried multiple times. And then, then they, he had this plan to come up to ta- well, Placerville area for his wife's 30th birthday. And she heard of this like, you know, a couple weeks prior. And she was like, oh, this is just him apologizing for missing my birthday. And so it was them two at the house. And uh, they were there for like a, a day. And then um, a bunch of people, my wife included, a bunch of people, like her friends flown from Texas and San Diego and coming up from San Jose, like childhood best friends and sister and everyone came to the house for the, the 30th birthday. And she was blown away because his plan really showed like what was in his heart. And it was clear to her, and Jeremy knew, my brother knew it would be clear to her that his, his love and remembrance for, for her would be shown through his plan despite what she thought in the immediate moments, even a couple weeks after her birthday. And I, I think about this story and, and this the God's plan and prophecy and, and all this stuff is is a, a proof of a plan of love, not just proof of control. A lot of times we talk about prophecy as like it's proof of control and proof of, of God knowing and, and God like having this, you know, extravagant view of history, which that's true. That's all true. But a lot of times we forget that there's love in God's plan. We know that there's love in, in God and his provision for us, but in his plan, the narrative of the whole Bible, I think God makes it strikingly clear that the, the culmination of all of history points to the cross. 
the culmination of all of, of history of, in the Old Testament points to his outpouring of love. It was always Christ. It, it wasn't Israel that would be the hope of the world. Christ going to the cross would, uh, wouldn't be this scrambling for a fix to the problems that humanity had caused. Ephesians 1.4 says that we were chosen in him before the creation of the world. So as we look at the cruci crucifixion story, uh, think of God's love for you that, that compelled him to send his son to the cross. And, and that plan that reveals his love for every single person on the earth. So we're going to pick up the story of the crucifixion uh, in John 18. I, I realize I didn't give this verse to Zoe, so I, I gave it to Aaron last minute. So it's going to look a little bit different. So we're going to start in verse, uh, verse 19. So the high priest, so Jesus, Jesus is brought to Caiaphas' house, the high priest that was appointed in this, uh, this district in, in Judea with, you know, this Pilate and Pilate, the person before Pilate actually appointed this high priest, Caiaphas. So he's in Caiaphas' house. The high priest questions Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? And those who have heard me what, heard me what I said to them, they know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing, standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if I, what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Oh, this is at Annas' house. I'm sorry. So the, I, Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the former high priest. So let's keep going. So uh, then we read through Simon Peter and his, and his denial of Christ. So Simon Peter is asked if you're, he's a disciple. He says, I am not. Keep going. One of the servants of the high priest uh, said he saw him with him. Let's keep going because we have a lot to cover. And Peter denied it again, and the rooster crowed. So now we're back at Jesus in the house of Caiaphas. Uh, and then they, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's head, headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, the Jews, uh, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So this is that Passover time. If they enter into a Gentile's house, and there's like, you know, like, Gentile things, yeast and all that, they could be, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to partake in Passover, so they didn't enter in. So it's just, uh, this is where uh, I really want to go through these interactions between Pilate and, and Jesus. Uh, Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? He answered, this, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So, um, so first off, um, so Caiaphas, he, he hands Jesus over to Pilate for his fate to be decided. I, I think it's important to note that, that Levitical law does say that uh, these, the, the Jewish leaders could put someone to death for blaspheming, which is what they said Jesus had done. 
And uh, so the punishment for that in, in uh, Leviticus 24 is for that person to be stoned to death. And uh, of course, Jesus himself said in John 12 that he was going to be raised up. And prophecy had said that he would be crucified or hung on a tree. And uh, so for, in order for that to come true, it couldn't have been the Jews that, that uh, give him a punishment. It had to be the Romans. And here, uh, the humility of Jesus stands out to me because he knows what he's sent for. He knows what his, the plan is, that death is coming and, and arguing or, or standing in contempt to authority would really be an, in opposition to his goal. And it's because of this response that you see the sovereignty of God at play. So let's keep reading. So then Pilate, he took Jesus. Oh, we got more. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped over. I didn't have this in my notes. Uh, so let's go back. So Pilate said to them, take yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fill, fulfill the word that uh, Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover, so do you want me to release you, to you, the king of the Jews? They cried out again, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Okay, there we go. So, let's, uh, let's keep reading. Let's go to John 19. So, so here, uh, Pilate, he questions, questions Jesus, and he thinks Jesus is innocent. He's like, what have you done? And then he brings Jesus out. He's like, all right, well, this is his plan. He's going to skirt the whole situation. He's going to bring Jesus out and put him next to this robber because it was a, it was a, um, it was a um, tradition for, for the Romans to let go a prisoner based on the request at Passover. So he's like, well, this is an easy out. So he's like, they're going to choose Jesus over Barabbas. And so he brings him out, and they're like, no, we want Barabbas to be let go. And so Caiaphas, or not Caiaphas, Pilate, is in this place again where he's like, man, well, how do I get them to see that Jesus is innocent? And so he does something to, and, it's, and it looks cruel, and it is cruel, but he does it to try and save Jesus from crucifixion. Let's look at John uh, 19. No, it's on there. Okay, well, I, I don't know. 
can't find it. So John 19, so it's, it is on there. Just take a look. I saw it on there. But if you could pull out your Bibles, since we don't have it on the screen, Bibles come in handy. Okay, so um, it says in verse 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They, they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt with him. The Jew Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. So as the story continues, uh, Pilate, he's, he's bringing Jesus forward to them in this robe, in the crown, and, and after being, being uh, flogged, and he's, you know, he's bloody, he's, he's looking ridiculous, he's being ridiculed, and Pilate thinks, man, if they only see him as this pathetic figure, then they're not going to want to crucify him. Like, that's his thought. So he parades him out there in front of them, and he says, here he is. And they're like, no, we want him put to death. And he's like, what? Why should we put him to death? And he said, because he's the son of God. And again, that should be stoning. That, and, but they say, crucify him. Crucify him. So this was the way for them to, through the Romans, to get him crucified. So in verse 8, it says, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. As the story continues, we, we can't help but feel like Jesus is the one in control. From beginning to end, it, it never really reads like a story of a, a man who's caught up in, in this web of circumstances where he has no control over his death. Uh, it, it doesn't read like a man who's hounded to his own crucifixion. Throughout this account, we see Pilate, a man who can't understand the situation at hand, and he's just floundering, trying to figure out what to do with this innocent man. And Jesus, at the end of, of 18, he draws this line between the kingdom of heaven and the empire of humans. And it's this whole idea like, I could overtake you. I could, uh, I, I could stop this. Or like the story of Isaac, like, I could run away. I could stop it. Like, you're not going to overtake me. Like, I'm young and nimble and you're old. Like, Jesus, like, he's, he's, I have followers all over that could take you down, but that's not the point of why I'm here. In Romans 13.1, it says, do you have those? Please have those. 
Romans 13, 1. Alright. It's the snow. I literally saw it there. It's not there. Okay. It's in the blue. I saw it. This is just, I'm sorry, it's just going to take me a lot longer. Okay, so Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God and those who exist because they've been instituted by God. Ecclesiastes uh, 10.20 says, Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice. That's the wrong verse. Wow, this is a mess. And some winged creature will tell the matter. That's the wrong one. The, real, the one I meant to put in there, it's in the notes. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.20 says, oh, that is the right one. So it's there. Uh, so it says, uh, it talks about rulers and authority. 1 Peter 2.17, it says, uh, it says, oh, obey your emptor. Oh, there it is. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then Deuteronomy 17, it says, so, so these, these three verses say God placed all authority, as Jesus had said, there's no authority without God. And then and Jesus says, again, by this whole power, and it, and it brings me back to the, something that Christopher had talked about in Deuteronomy, where he said, uh, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord had said, you shall never return that way again. So talking about the, the new king. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And so he's, he's painting this picture of, of these earthly things, the earthly powers, the horses, the wives, these, these peace treaties and all that. He's, he's saying the king needs to rely on God for his for his uh, protection. He needs to rely not on his own power, his own forces. And this, it's kind of an echoing of that in Jesus' talk. And he says, no power is given to you except that power from God. And I, I, I read this and I think, do we really think that? Do we really believe that power that is above us, the authorities that be, our, our bosses, our governor, our president, congressmen, whatever it is, do we really think that those people are appointed by God? That there's no power aside from what God has appointed? And we see this, and this is Jesus talking about Pilate, and Pilate's uh, authority is only given to him by Caesar. And he talks about Caesar and other, other places. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. This is earthly authority. He's saying it doesn't matter. God put them in place, and they're here to do his plan. And looking back at this moment, we see, yeah, God's doing his plan. He's he's fulfilling his plan through Pilate, through Caesar, through the powers that be, through Caiaphas. 
He's fulfilling his plan. But do we have that trust in God that he's fulfilling his plan right now? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get ridiculously frustrated, maybe even scared for my own well-being based on our leaders. But that's not right. So Jesus, he lays silent before his accusers, like Isaac. He let God take, his, use his plan, take, let all that happen without opposition. Isaac was unaccused, but o- obedient. Jesus was accused, but innocent. And they were silent before their death. It's a terrible day. Think about it. It is a terrible day when Jesus is silent to a man. There's nothing more terrifying when, than when God gives man over to the imagination of his heart, as it says in Luke 2. That God would give people over to like their own selfishness, their own pride and determination to do whatever they think is best for them. And here we see that there's nothing that Jesus can say that's going to make any difference. Isaiah, Isaiah 53, do we have that one? Isaiah 53, yes. says, he was oppressed and afflicted, he op- yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Again, here's another parallel, Isaac and Jesus. And within prophecy. Proverbs 17.27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says, There's a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We look at this humility of Christ and the silence before his com- accusers. And, and I think, how many times do we argue through walls that other people put up? Sometimes when, when talking to other people, we try to argue and debate our, our ways through when there's no common ground to stand on. And I think this happens when there's a difference between this, this mental and spiritual language between the people we're talking to and our own perspective and our own worldviews. Let's read, keep reading in John 19. It says, From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Here's important. They start like tying his hands. It's like, you let him go, it's political suicide. Like, that's basically what they're saying. Uh, everyone who makes himself a king, opposes Caesar. And uh, so, by law, someone who's committing treason, who's opposing Caesar, this is what crucifixion was mainly used for in in the Roman times. It's, It's because they would be completely, you know, stripped, exposed. They would be made as vulnerable as possible and put up on a cross so that the Romans could say, these are the people that oppose the Roman Empire. These are the people that oppose the Roman It's the same idea of, of, you know, conquering a place and dragging the king through the streets. 
It's like this is a, a sign that we will not be toppled over. And for Rome to keep their power, anyone who tries to speak against the en- emperor and lead, and lead a people against the, the empire of Rome, this would happen. So the Jews, they're, they're binding Pilate's hands, being like, this, he said he's a king. He opposes Caesar. He's in direct opposition to Caesar. And then they call for crucifixion. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat and placed a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. And now was a day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, We have no king but Caesar. Every time I read it, it strikes me. We have no king but Caesar. Like these are, are, even if the Jews didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah, and they didn't see that, their king is not Caesar. Their king is the almighty God, the God of Abraham. And so we see this, this uh, hatred for Jesus. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So Galatians 3.13, it, it talks about Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law be, by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ, he, he would take the curse of hanging on the tree, showing that he, he took the curse of being direct opposition to the law. He took the curse. He became the curse for us. And so they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which is called Golgotha, where they crucified him, and with him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between him. Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them in four parts, one part for each soldier, soldier also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And so it's another fulfillment of scripture, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the di- disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now, f- now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
as the, on Passover, as the final Passover lamb, he takes the, he takes the wine from the hyssop branch, of fulfilling scripture, and, and then also drawing another parallel between the original Passover and the blood and the hyssop, the hyssop branch and the blood over the doorpost in Egypt. And he says he thirsts. So Jesus finalizes this, this uh, prophecy by being the great Passover lamb, the final sacrifice. And still, people unbelieving. The Jews, knowing is- Israel history, seeing prophecy come true, and still blind to everything happening in front of their faces. And I I can't help but think, Jesus' prayer is still unseen. I I think sometimes we, we pray for good things, things that are even in God's will, but we don't see the answer to our prayers. I think of, like, stuff that Christopher had talked about with Wednesday Club. That's something immediately here. It's like, man, God, do something with these kids, please. Like, grab their hearts. Jesus, in John 17, do we have that verse? John 17. Yes. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may, may be one, even as we are one. In them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me from the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may may be in them and I in them. So he's praying for future believers He's praying that the Jews would would see him, all people would see him as the Christ, as the Messiah. And here he's he's being crucified, and and this this, uh, prayer, he knows this is God's heart. He knows this is what God wants, but he prays for believers to see him as Christ, and it doesn't happen. And I, I just think, man... How hard must this have been for Jesus to to have this prayer, to have something he knows God wants to accomplish and not see it happen? As for Abraham and Isaac, Abraham had this promise of Jesus. And to see that, you know, come in, to possibly being squandered. Not seeing the immediate effects of, of uh, God's provision. This picture of Abraham and Isaac. 
the full account of Christ and the cross shows us the finale of God's plan for the sake of the world, the, the apex of his love. And it shows us just how great his love is for us. So my, my questions for us are, will we be humble as followers of Christ? Will, be, will we be humble and submit to God? Is it more important for us to be right? Or we, can we discern what he's doing in us and through every conversation? Do we trust that we are in God's plan no matter what happens in, in the world around us, no matter what happens with our leader, with our, our country? Can we be secure in God's plan? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the example of, of Isaac and Abraham and Abraham's faithfulness to you. And, and God, I, I pray that as we look at the story of, of Christ and the cross, that we would see your plan for our lives, that, that we would be in, inspired and emboldened to share your love. God, I, I pray that we can trust in your plan. I pray that we can uh, rest in your love. And I, I pray that we can uh, see and feel your presence in our lives as we speak your truth to other people. God, we thank you for all that you've given us. We pray this in your name. Amen.